Episode 4, Temporal versus Spiritual. This episode is brought to you by human beings who, in their effort to try and control everything, often just confuse matters even more. Before we get to Luther's struggle against himself and his own spiritual despair, there's a major element of this world that I have, until now, totally ignored. I can't ignore it no longer, because it is vital to understanding how and why Luther's coming resistance actually ended up having the effect it did. Remember back at the beginning, when I said that you, as the Pope, were the most powerful person around? This is true, don't worry, you still are. But let's say that you stopped being Pope. Let's say you pull a Benedict XVI and you abdicate as Pope. Now you are just another person, no matter how dignified you may be as the former Pope. It is the position of Pope that wields the power, not the individual Christian holding that position. Popes came and went, sometimes in a flurry. Sometimes there was more than one Pope, each with a feuding faction behind them. Some Popes lasted days, some months, some years. Over a thousand years, you can imagine the diversity of the men who had held the position of Pope. The whole spectrum of human behavior and misbehavior had visited itself upon the papal throne throughout the years. In Western and Central Europe at this time, overall authority was actually divided in two parts. As the Pope, you rule over the spiritual realm, which is the most important, of course. But the other realm, the one in which people actually and physically existed and functioned on a day-to-day level, that was called the temporal realm. Now, temporal power also needed to be wielded. Throughout the history of the papacy, many popes had claimed and fought for temporal power over the lands of the earth, but this had always been challenged. Nobody had ever managed to create and maintain a unified and central rule over all of Europe. A central rule over people's souls was easier in comparison, as the effects were not known until death and by then it was too late to do anything about it. But temporal power cannot be wielded thus. And so a minority of Europe's population came to exist as an aristocratic ruling class, from the upper echelons of which European royalty would emerge. They would, varyingly and at different times, take temporal power to its limits all over Europe. I'm going to try to avoid getting stuck in this, so I'm just going to scratch the very surface of the surface. The major powers in Europe at this time were the French, the Spanish, the English, the growing Portuguese trade empire, and the Holy Roman Empire. It's pretty much only the Holy Roman Empire that I am going to focus on, as that is where Luther lived, and it is the epicenter of his resistance. Neither holy, nor Roman, nor an empire. I'm sure many people are familiar with Voltaire's famous quip from the 18th century, a remark, it is worth pointing out, that was able to look back upon the events that Luther's life would create. But I'm digressing. Ostensibly, the Holy Roman Empire began on Christmas Day in 800 CE, when the Frankish king Charlemagne was crowned by the then Pope Leo III as the new Roman Emperor. A really important thing about this is that it explains, this action explains why the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages had become so all-powerful, 
It was all about Rome, the ancient Rome, and that ancient empire had cast such a long shadow across Europe in its height that its collapse was a social devastation in itself. When so-called barbarian tribes began attacking Rome in the Mediterranean, the institutions of Rome were, were withdrawn from northern Europe and back to the south. The soldiers of Rome, the rule of law of Rome, and the structural organization of Rome all disappeared from northern Europe, and it left in its wake a massive vacuum. Into this vacuum had stepped the Catholic Church. It had provided structure in an otherwise structurally decaying world. Every person became more and more dependent on this structure as the next thousand years went by. So in 800, when the Pope crowned Charlemagne, a Western European, what Rome would have called a barbarian, when the Pope crowned him as king or as emperor, the Pope did it with a divine power. He effectively lifted the imperial power of the ancient Roman emperors. He took it off of their heads, carrying these powers via the hands of God, of course, over 300 and something years. And he placed that imperial power onto the head of Charlemagne. That process, by the way, is called Translatio Imperii, moving the power of Rome across all this time through the hands of God and putting it onto Charlemagne's head. The authority of Rome in the temporal realm was needed. So the authority of the ancient empire was needed to legitimize Charlemagne as a European emperor. That's how big a specter Rome cast. And from the very creation of this establishment, the Pope was involved. He enabled the legitimacy of the Emperor through divine power that only he wielded. This division of powers and this complicated relationship would cause a whole lot of angst and a whole lot of conflict throughout a thousand years. Wars, assassinations, and much more would occur because of this confusing division slash struggle of and for power. In the Holy Roman Empire, the Pope ruled the spiritual world, the Emperor, the temporal. The Emperor's soul belonged to the Pope, but the Pope often played the game of temporal power too, and this meant playing politics. It is all very difficult and confusing and frustrating. The Holy Roman Empire covered the territory of roughly today's Germany, but with lands that encompassed parts of today's Czech, Austrian, Italian, Hungarian, former Yugoslavian, Belgian, and Dutch nations. I've definitely missed some there. Like Luxembourg. I miss Luxembourg. Nobody ever misses Luxembourg. Anyway, shoot me. Aim for brevity. The Emperor of the, ele- of the Empire was elected. In 1356, so much political higgledy-piggledy had transpired, the rules were set for how and by whom the Emperor was to be elected. So, although it changed over the years, at the time of Luther, it happened like this. And I'm going to do this as quickly and as brief as possible. There were seven electors. Three were ecclesiastical, so they ruled in the spiritual realm, but they had temporal territories. They owned bishoprics. These were the archbishops of Mainz, Cologne, and Trier. The other four electors were secular, also ruling great territories. These were the king of Bohemia, with his capital in Prague, the Count Palatine of the Rhine, with his seat at the famous Heidelberg Castle, the Duke of Saxony, in whose lands Luther lived, and the Margrave of Brandenburg about whom I have nothing further to say. I really, I hate this shit, because I despise politics, so I'm going to leave that there. But just keep in mind that it was a very complicated web of political wheeling and dealing. The electors 
were princes. They were called prince-electors. And they effectively held the power because they elected the emperor. So the emperor needed their support. But the emperor was still the emperor, still with ultimate power. Any prince in Europe was eligible to become emperor. And a consideration was always how much influence that person had before they became emperor. Could they maintain unity and stability once they became emperor? Often a German prince would not be able to get the other princes to unify behind him as emperor. And so the Pope was always involved in these political wranglings as well. Because at the end of the day, whomever the prince electors chose as emperor, the appointed one had to be crowned by the Pope. So the Pope had to sort of uh, approve of the election. It was all very confusing and all very frustrating. So at the end of the day, the Pope still has the authority, but there's a whole web of conflict going on here. So you've got these two institutions, the spiritual and the temporal, and both of the institutions of power reflected each other, the temporal empire and the spiritual curia of the church. They were interdependent sometimes, a lot, because you had prince-electors of the empire who were also cardinals. And both these institutions, they elected their leader, and they elected it by way of a vote from within a very select group of men. For the empire, it was the prince-electors. For the papacy, it was the cardinals. As I said, this could often include men who played both roles. All so political. Makes me want to vomit. But now, because of this, we can kind of understand the density of the swamp through which Martin Luther and his earth-shattering ways would wade as he carried this resistance of the mind that would defy the established world around him. Luther would form a theology that would indeed change the world. And in the next episode, we will nut out that theology and why it was important for what was to become.